Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Carrie Scott. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie. Thank you. Just by way of introduction, um, these podcasts are pretty broad, and we're going to talk today. Carrie's going to bravely share her story as an LDS mom, a mother of six kids, who had an affair during her marriage, and that affair led to a child that's now part of their home. That affair did not lead to their marriage ending. Um, their marriage has been able to stay together. Carrie has gone through the repentance process and is in full fellowship, holds a temple recommend in the church. But Carrie bravely is willing to share her story um, to help others um, that have made mistakes and how the atonement and how healing and how forgiveness and how that all works in real life. And um, I think there's a lot of people that need to hear the things that Carrie's going to share bravely and vulnerably about her own journey um, to give hope and perspective and a desire to use the atonement for me and for our listeners as we also want to improve and do better. So this is really brave of you, Carrie. And we said a prayer before we started that Carrie will be sustained Um And we have kind of about nine sections of this podcast we want to go through. So we'll get right into it. Um, The first section, I may keep these numbered if I can keep track. Talk, tell us about your upbringing, Carrie. Okay. So I grew up, I grew up in the church. I had good parents. They were good examples. They taught, they modeled, they modeled gospel living. Um, So really good parents. They did a lot right. And I was the second of five children. Um, my parents, I had good parents. I had a good family. They weren't, we weren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect, but, but they were good. And so I hope as they listen to this podcast, they um, realize that, you know, they did a good job. I don't want them to beat themselves up <laughs> as they listen to my uh, struggles that I've had because they're good parents. Um, and so I was raised, I was raised in the church. I remember having a testimony from a young age. Um, I, I believed what I was taught about Heavenly Father. Um, I believed that the church was true. Um, and I just, I wanted to live the gospel. Uh, as I became a teenager, I, I had some good friends, but I also fell into some, had some friends that weren't so great. Um, some relationships, some dating relationships that weren't weren't very good, and I very much craved male attention at that age. And as as a result, I think I just didn't make very wise dating choices. I I think I had a lack of confidence in a lot of ways, and didn't really connect with my own divine worth. Um, even though I knew that I was a daughter of heavenly parents, I just don't. I didn't quite understand what that really, really meant. And I think, I don't know. I, I think most kids, maybe we don't, you know, it's something we learn as we, as we grow and as we get older. Um, so that was my upbringing. Um, I, I grew up in New Mexico. I moved to Utah when I was 17 and, um, met my husband, eventually met my husband and, my husband was really young when we met. He was 16. I was 19. And 
we started dating. My husband, he was a member of the church, but he was not active. He really hadn't grown up in the church. His family wasn't active. And um, he, being so young, we just, you know, we had those underdeveloped brains, even though my husband was really, for his age, was really mature. You know, I thought he was older than he really was. I don't think I could say that I myself was very mature for, you know, being a 19 year old, I was probably a little immature. Um, but we dated for a while. We got engaged. Um, we got married. And at the time of our wedding, I was pregnant with our oldest child. So I was, I think, three months along when we got married. And I wanted more than anything a temple, temple marriage. And I just, I remember walking down the aisle with my dad And I was happy to be married, but I was so sad. It's honest. Just sad that it it wasn't quite it, quite what I had planned, you know. Um, but, you know, we had talked and, and we had, I had expressed to him, you know, I, I want to be sealed to my family and I want to be sealed to you and I, I want, I want to be active in the church. And, and he said it was something he wanted to. And so I, and I, I guess I thought like, oh, I can change him enough. You know, I can make him want it as much as me. And I just trusted as soon as we got married that, that we would, he would start coming to church with me and within a year we'd be sealed in the temple. And, and that's not really how it worked out. (laughs) So. How old were you when you two were married? So I was 19 and he was 17. So pretty young. Pretty young. His parents had to sign. They had to sign papers <laughs> to give him permission to get married. So, <laughs> And your husband's name is Troy. His, his name is Troy. Troy. Yeah. Um, and so we just, I guess, just went into this marriage with this. I, I had this unhealthy perspective that I could change him and, and make him want the same things as me. Um, after we got married, it became pretty clear to me he wasn't as interested in in the church and in going to church. And he told me, you know, Sundays are, that's, that's my day to go fishing. And I don't want to spend my day off from work (laughs) in church. So for a while, I, I, I think I tried to just really pressure him into it. Um, I remember sitting with my dad one day and my, my dad asked, you know, how are things going with, with the marriage? And I told him I'm really just frustrated and worried because, you know, my husband doesn't want to, he doesn't want to attend church and I feel really alone and it's really important to me. Uh, and, and my dad just said, you know, he said, you just work on yourself. You know, you just get yourself to the temple and, and, and your Troy will come around later, you know, when he's ready. And that was good advice. And, and that's what I did. And so um, I worked on getting myself to the temple. And I, I think it was probably about a year later that I went through and received my endowment. Um, and after that, I, you know, I, I reached a point one day, I remember trying to, trying to get Troy to come to church with me. And, and he really didn't want to. And it ended up just being a fight. <laughs> and I finally just thought, you know, this isn't worth the fight. And so I told him, you know, I... I want you to come to church with us. I think it's important, but I'm not going to force you. And so I said, you know, this has to be your choice. And I'm never, I will never ask you again 
unless our kids have an important event. And other than that, I said, you know, I'm going to take the kids to church every week. And if you want to come, then you are welcome to come. So, so that's how it was. I went, I took the kids to church every week (laughs) and, um, we, let's see, I think seven, it took seven years, seven years later, we had a good friend. We had made some friends in the ward and we had some friends over. And one of our friends, um, the husband, just when he was leaving our house said, Hey, Troy, are we going to see you at church on Sunday? (laughs) And Troy said, well, do you ever see me at church on Sunday? And he said, no, but you're welcome. Anytime you want to come, there's a seat. I have a seat for you. So, um, it's like, that was kind of the start. That was a really important piece was for Troy to feel invited and welcome. And like, there was a place for him, but there was a lot that, a lot that played into that. I, I think there was divine intervention for sure. Um, and eventually seven years later, you know, we were able to go as a family and be sealed in the temple. So at that time we had our first, let's see, um, our first three kids, we had three kids by then. So, so that was a great time for us. Which temple? We were sealed in the Mount Tabernogus temple. So, and it was amazing, beautiful day. And then, um, flash forward, I guess, (laughs) five or six years later, still active in the church. Um, By then I had four kids. I had, you know, served in a lot of callings. I was young women's president for, for a while and marriage was hard. Marriage, marriage has always been hard for us. I'll be honest about that. (laughs) You know, being married so young and such different personalities and interests, it's always been hard. And um, uh, I think in 2010, I decided to go back to school and pursue an education. And that was pretty overwhelming. And, and I was studying a lot and, and stressed out and I was tired and, and I was feeling lonely. And in a lot of ways, I think I was emotionally stuck. Probably a lot that I had struggled with as a teenager or young adult that I really hadn't worked through you know, and hadn't um, grown as much as I wanted to, I guess. So just a lot of insecurities. And while I was in school, you know, a couple of men started paying attention to me. And that led to probably some inappropriate relationships um, that were um, especially emotional relationships. And, and then, and, you know, I, and I felt bad and I, of course, knew it was wrong. We all know that that's not right. And, but I, I kind of just didn't know, I guess I just didn't know how to walk away from that. And eventually the final, the final relationship was, was with a good friend of ours, a good friend of our families. And that relationship lasted. And, and really it was purely physical relationship between him and I, and it only, it lasted about two months. Um, I immediately regretted it, but I stayed in this situation because I didn't know how to stop. And I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. You know, I never thought, I never thought that I would do that. I always thought, you know, I've, I, I remember talking to women and I hear this conversation even still, like I would never 
I would never have an affair. And I hear women say, and if my husband ever had an affair, I'd be out the door, you know, he'd, or he'd be out the door. We, we would never, I would never put up with that. Um, I have talked to quite a few people who, especially, I guess it seems that it's husbands a lot of the time, but um, I have had friends whose husbands have had affairs and it's not, it's not as simple as that. You know, when you have a family, it's, it's easy to say I would never stick around and I would never, I would never put up with that. But it's, you know, when you have a family, there's a lot more to consider. So, so I had this secret that was just burning inside of me and I didn't know what to do with that secret. And I, oh, I wanted to change, but I also, I also started to believe a lot of lies from the adversary telling me that, um, that Heavenly Father would understand why I was doing what I was doing. And I think that's true. He did understand, but I, the lies were, the lies that I was believing is that the Heavenly Father understood and he would make an exception for me so that it would be okay. You know, like he understands my heart and he knows why I'm doing this and he will make an exception and it's okay with him. So that is, that's one of the big lies and the big traps I fell into believing that. And I really, I was, oh, I was probably, when you talk about Satan's chains, I was, I was caught. I was caught in those chains. So, so I didn't know. I had just finally decided, you know, I'm just going to take this secret to the grave with me and I will never tell a single, I'll never tell a soul and, and nobody will ever find out. And so just this secret burning inside of me was horrible. So the only thing I knew to do is I thought, you know, I, I need to get counseling. So I did. I put myself into counseling. Um, my husband knew I was going to counseling, but I didn't tell him why. And I don't know if he wondered, but I just told him, you know, I just need to deal with some things and I don't want, I can't talk about it. And so I had a really good, good therapist and it, it was helping. It helped to talk to somebody. Meanwhile, I was still in school and I was working really, really hard. I was trying to get into the nursing program at the university I was going to. And I found out that I got accepted into the nursing program, which I had worked, you know, so, so hard to do that. Great job. <laughs> and two weeks after I found out I was accepted into the program, I found out I was pregnant. And I knew it wasn't my husband's baby. And I knew that he would know that too, <laughs> because he had had a surgery a few years ago so that we wouldn't have any more children. So I knew there was no lying about it. Um, oh, I found out about the pregnancy the day after Christmas. And I guess I didn't realize until now that just hit me that I think that was one of the Lord's tender mercies that I didn't find out before Christmas, you know, just that would have been a horrible, 
horrible way to spend Christmas. So thankfully I found out the next day, but still it was a shock. I was devastated. I was terrified, scared to death. And I just kept thinking like, this isn't me. Like, I don't do this. <laughs> um, what is everybody going to think? Everybody's going to judge me because people are going to find out. And I, I didn't know. I honestly, I did not know what to do. Um, it was tough. <laughs> and this is for our listeners, December 26, 2013. So this is roughly um, f- six years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, You're doing a good job telling a very tender you. story. You know, it's hard, it's hard to share. And it's thinking about how I was going to share this story. It had brought back a lot a lot of memories and a lot of, you know, it's a lot of triggers. <laughs> so I realize I'm still, there's still, I'm still working through this. But, um, so the man that I hadn't had an affair with, I told him about the pregnancy and, um, you know, I just, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I just kept thinking, well, maybe adoption, like maybe I'll give the baby to a family that, you know, I, because I thought for sure my family was going to be split up. I didn't think the marriage would work. And, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to raise, you know, another child on my own in addition to the children I already had. And I thought that wasn't, wouldn't be fair to a child either. And so I thought maybe I'll just, maybe I'll give the baby up for adoption. So, so I was trying not to get attached and, um, it was a few days, a few days later, I went and I met with my bishop and, I don't know. My poor bishop. <laughs> he was a good guy. He's just really maybe kind of shy. And and I sat in his office and I just cried like, I don't know that I've ever cried in that way. The most horrid, horrid cry you could ever cry. But it felt good to get it off my chest, even though it was scary. I was... You know, it, it it felt good to come clean. Good job. Yeah. And, and so a I... a lot of courage. And so I think, like, now I look back and I think, you know, Heavenly Father sent me this child in a way... I'm, I know she has a much larger purpose, but one purpose for me, I think, was to help me be able to change. Like, almost... Like, it's almost like he had to just force me, you know? Like... I'm like, I'm like, he just made me like come to that point where it was either you confess and you change your ways or you keep, keep up with your ways and you just leave the church and you leave everything behind. So it was this crossroads and I knew I was, I leaving the church wasn't any, I, I didn't consider that at all. Um, I love the gospel too much and it is such a part of me and and I loved my family too much. And I just thought, okay, maybe I can just somehow, someday, eventually live a good enough life and be a good example that I can make this up to my family. And so any, anyways, um, so yeah, yeah, I talked to my bishop and I asked him would if he would be willing to be there while I t- told my husband about it. And he agreed. And so the next Sunday... I told my husband, we're going to talk to the bishop. He knew something was going on, but he had no, like, 
there he couldn't have prepared himself for the news I gave him. Like he was he was shocked and really confused and and it was hard when I I told him, you know, I had an affair with our friend and I'm pregnant and I think that's the most shocking news you could ever receive from from your husband or your wife. And so understandably so he he needed time. Troy needed some time to really think about this. And he was angry and he was hurt and, and he asked me to leave. And so I left for a few days before it was a few days before we talked again. And so I, that day went straight to my parents and again, had to, had to break their hearts. And I had really tried as an adult to be to be a, a daughter that they would be very proud of. And they were proud of me. And oh. And then I had to go tell them what I had done and what was happening to my family. But they just loved me, you know. They just loved you. Yeah, as heartbroken as they were, and I'm sure they were mad at me, you know, frustrated with me. And like, um, you know, they were thinking about their grandkids and what was gonna happen to our family. And so that was hard, but but yeah, they still just loved me and and they stayed with me through the whole thing. And they're still very, you know, they're supportive and And they're proud of me. They're proud of me still. And my mom, she just tells me, you know, you were just going through some really hard things. <laughs> you know, She's just so loving and understanding and kind and never judgmental. Um, back to when I told my husband and made the confession to him and he told me, you know, I just need some time and I need you to leave. And so I went on my own for, I had a friend who had a place that she let me stay for a few days. and. After a few days, Troy was ready to talk and, and he asked me, what do you, you know, what do you want? And I told him, I just, I want to keep our family together. And I told him, I know that's a lot to ask after all the hurt that I've caused. And, and I wouldn't blame you if you wanted a divorce and if you never wanted to have anything to do with me again, I, I, I wouldn't blame you. I mean, at that point I was realizing like I had to take the blame like this was my fault and in the beginning I thought oh well you, you know if my husband would have paid more attention to me or all these things but I finally reached the point in my repentance process where I knew I had to take the blame you know I chose to do what I did and he didn't choose that for me and I just had to that was part of part of my repentance was coming clean and taking full responsibility um, but, but yeah, I told him if you, you know, if you don't want to stay with me, then I understand. And I don't know how we would work through this as a family anyways, but if I could choose, like if it was up to me, I want to stay together and I would want you to raise this baby with me. And I asked him, do you think that you could ever love this child the way you do your others? And he's 
he's amazing. He just said, you know, there's not a child in this world that I could not love. What a great answer. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, everybody in our board, they know he's the baby whisperer. He takes everybody's babies at church. He's, he, he was served in the nursery for a while. He just, he loves kids. And so we decided, let's try to make this work. Let's, you know, it's going to be hard, but let's do it. Let's just do it and, and move forward. And yeah, he's a good guy. I didn't expect that from him. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could have done the same. I hope so, but. Anyways, so I guess we can fast forward to um, my disciplinary council with the church. I was just ready to accept, you know, whatever, whatever the bishopric decided. It, it was at a, on a bishop level, bishopric level, ward level, so. I didn't I didn't have to meet in front of the stake or anything. But I just was ready just to accept whatever they decided. And they decided to disfellowship me. And I mean I was relieved that I wasn't being excommunicated because the process is even a longer process to get back into the into the church and so I was grateful for that and still it was um hard because because I knew I couldn't do as much you know I I couldn't hold a calling I couldn't pray in church I it was just hard and I never, I kept going to church every week. I just, and I know people in the ward knew, like, that was another hard part is just, I knew that people were probably talking and we tried not to just tell everybody and make it this big known thing, but I was really, just felt so much shame. And always worrying, what are people saying? What are people, th- what do people think of me? I think one of the big lessons I learned during that time too is not to judge others. You know, it taught me empathy that we all have hard things that we go through and we just, we can't judge somebody else for what they're going through and the choices they make, but just, just to love. And, and I'm grateful for that lesson that I learned. Cause I think I was, I think I was a pretty judgmental person before that. And I still, I still probably am. It's something I'm working on, but, but I learned a big lesson about gossiping. <laughs> you know, I, like word got around. I, it was really hurtful when I would find out that people were talking or conversations had been conversations had been had you know about me had been happening where men in the ward were you know saying oh did you hear did you hear right did you hear about Carrie Scott did you know can you believe she had an affair now they're having a baby and just the things that were said were really hurtful 
But at the same time, uh, there were a lot of people. I I mean, I heard things. There was a lot of a lot of talking that I didn't hear because, of course, it's behind your back. But from the people that I did associate with and did talk to, it was just love. And just a real desire to help my family. And I think people didn't know what to say to me, too, because they were like, do I actually, <laughs> this isn't the carry we know or we thought we knew. So what do I say? But they were there and they stayed, you know, they stayed friends with us. And they stuck around and and even if they didn't know what to say, they just sticking around, that was it meant a lot and it's what I needed. So at that point, like we had been really just honest and upfront with all of our kids um, and just told them, you know, this is what happened. That was really hard because they didn't really understand. And things were really rough in the family. My my oldest, she didn't, she hardly talked to me. You know, I mean, when she did, it was, oh, she was angry. And I felt like she hated me. And and I thought, there's no way we're never, like, we'll never have a good relationship. And 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 I don't blame her. Um that was hard and My second child, I think, was just about 11 or 12 at the time. And I remember asking him one day, do you think you could ever forgive me? And he just said, I already, I already have. It's hard to have to ask your children for forgiveness for big things because you're supposed to be the one that they learn from and they look up to and you know I I was teaching them the gospel and then I wasn't living it that was a tough time and and then with school and everything going on it was just really hard and I finally reached a point where um I wouldn't call it an attempted suicide, but I know that's how it looked to everyone else. And I guess it was a cry for help and it was self-harm because I felt so much shame and I just felt like I had destroyed everything around me. I was embarrassed. I could not even look at myself in the mirror. And I remember so many times just saying, I hate myself. I, I could not stand myself. And I just, I looked in the mirror and I looked dull and I didn't see, it's just like I had lost my light. And even though Troy and I, we were trying to work things out, like he was struggling and we would go back and forth and he would say like, I don't know if I can do this now. Like, I don't. And it finally reached a point where he's, he just said, I, I don't think I can. I don't think I can work this out. And. And he just took the kids. We had some friends that had a cabin and he just took the kids and I came home from school one day and everybody was just gone and their stuff, you know, they'd packed up their stuff. And that's, 
that's when the self-harm happened. And, and I ended up getting admitted into the hospital. And it was horrible being in the hospital because I felt like I should be trying to put my family back together, but I was stuck in this hospital. And I felt like, I, I mean, I, I knew I wasn't really a danger, you know, to myself or the baby, but everybody around me didn't know that. And are you, is the baby been born at this point or are you still pregnant? So I was still pregnant. And so I was only just in the first trimester. So still, still in the morning sickness phase (laughs) or the all day sickness is really what it is. (laughs) So, yeah, so I was in the hospital for a few days and that was, even though I hated being there and I felt like I didn't belong there, I, that was, it was something that I needed because that is the point where I just realized that. I'm trying to take care of, I'm trying to fix this on my own. Yes, I have confessed and I have asked for forgiveness and I've included the Lord, but at the same time, I was trying to fix it still on my own. And at the point, I finally reached a point where I just had to surrender. And I just said, you know, I can't fix this. I need help. And it was just, Lord, take this. And just tell me what to do. And I am ready to listen. And I just, at that point, it was just complete surrender. And just trust in the Lord. That's, that's what I had to do. I had to put all of my trust in, in Heavenly Father, and I had to put my trust in the atonement of Jesus Christ and just know that if this was going to be fixed, it was going to be fixed because of them, because I couldn't fix it, but they could. You're doing good, Carrie. Thank you. We'll get through this. (laughs) Probably a lot more tears to come still. Um, Anyways, after that experience, I mean, I was released from the hospital. Stayed at my parents for a few days. Or maybe it was, I don't know how long it was. I stayed with my parents for a while. It's a blur still. Um, While Troy and the kids were, you know, off our friend's cabin. Um, Another important piece of this is that the man I had had an affair with, he was in our, he lived near us. And so that was a big part of Troy needing to leave. It's because, you know, makes sense. this, this is somebody that lives in our neighborhood. And so we put the house up for sale and, but, um, you know, Troy kind of went back and forth. Eventually we kind of just got, came together again and said, let's just try to work this out, you know, and, and we did. And, and I moved up to the cabin and we just stayed there. And that was one tender mercy, this cabin. It was some friends of ours who, they just had this cabin. They didn't live there. You know, sometimes they let people use it or sometimes they'd go stay for the weekend. And they said, you know, while your house is for sale, why don't you just stay at our cabin all summer? Like as long as you need to all summer long, we won't charge you any rent. We'll just 
you know, you can do some repairs while you're up there and just help us with that. And so, and so that's what we did while we sold our house and tried to find another place to live. But that was a huge tender mercy. And just to know that there were people who cared enough to say like, you know, we know your family is really hurting and here's a place to live, you know, where we're there for you and just the support. While I was in the hospital, I had, I was so worried about my family. You know, I thought I should be home picking up the pieces and here I am in the hospital. And we had ward members that came and fed my family every night while I was gone and just took care of, they just took, they were taken care of. So yeah, we spent the summer living up at this cabin and um, I'm not uh, sure what to, <laughs> how to move on in this conversation, like what to talk about next. You're doing a good job. I sometimes ask a lot of questions, but I'm just feeling impressed that our listeners need to hear your story. Okay. <laughs> so go ahead and keep sharing just the story. Okay. So, um, oh, one important thing. So at the time when I was in the hospital, it, I reached the point where I just knew I couldn't go back to school. Like I could not, I couldn't do the nursing program. I felt, I had felt like I had to do it because my husband, you know, when I said, let me, I want to go back to school a few years before he, he was kind of concerned. We're both like, we come from families who have not they we, our families don't have college degrees for the most part and he didn't really see the purpose like why you know what if you start going to school and we take out student loans or you get into this debt and then you don't finish and so I had promised him at the beginning I'll finish I promise I'll finish like I'll get my degree it's it's not just going to be in vain and so I think I felt like I have to go I have to finish this even though I was just you know like I should not I needed some time away from school um, but while I was in the hospital, I was so worried because I, I told Troy, well, I can't go to the hospital. You know, I can't get checked into another unit because I have midterms tomorrow. And he just told me, you're not going back. You are done. And I was so relieved and um, just realized, yeah, I need I need to take a break from this. Um, eventually, I ended up changing my major and I did graduate. Way I, to go. I did finish, <laughs> but I didn't go into nursing. It's interesting. Troy made that decision for you, but you were relieved. Yeah. And sometimes that's what a good partner does is um, we get invested in these decisions and it's hard to see the big picture and pull out. Uh, and I love that part of this story. Yeah. He's always been really supportive of me. And then he... I don't know. Troy's just like a rock. Like I always feel safe around him and I know he'll take care of me and he he looks out for for my good and he just supports me. So he's amazing. <laughs> you know what a compliment to Troy. I just love what you just said. I feel safe around him. As a yeah. father of a couple daughters, that's what I would want. In my son-in-law's is that my daughters feel safe around him. What a great compliment to Troy. 
I think everybody feels safe around Troy. <laughs> what a great compliment. Um, I don't know if I should move ahead to how great of a dad Troy is or if I should go back to, you know, the things that helped me through this. Either one. Oh, well, I will say now, um, we wanted to talk about our daughter that resulted from this affair and because um, I'm sure people are curious about that. Like, how did that work out? And and the man, the man that I had had an affair with, he, Troy just, Troy just went and talked to him. I didn't, I really never talked to him since then. Troy has been the one that's been like the go-between. And the two of them talked and Troy said, I want to raise this baby as my own. And legally, because we were married, Troy would legally be the father. Um, and so he, they came together and the other man just agreed, you know, if, and he doesn't have kids of his own, he's not married. And he said, if, um, you know, I'll agree, I'll agree to just sign over any rights that I would have had and let you raise this baby and let your, you know, try to keep your family together and just, you know, so we had, you know, signed some papers, had some legal help with that. Um, so yeah, throughout the pregnancy, um, you know, the pregnancy went well. We had, we had our daughter. She doesn't know, of course, she's six years old right now. And I guess that was kind of one thing I wondered about coming on the podcast is, well, you know, like people are going to, people are going to know. Everybody I know is going to know now. And I've been I haven't shared with a lot of people. I've shared with close friends. Um, But I have realized that in sharing my story, it's helped me release a lot of that shame. Brene Brown says something to the effect, like, if you were to put shame in a Petri dish, uh, what did she say? She talks about shame will just grow and grow and grow. And the only thing that you can put, that can put out the shame is, I wrote it down. Let me see if I can. What was her word? I can't remember her wording, but she said. You it's like it's basically talking about it, talking about it and non empathy and not judging. And when you talk about it and somebody shows you empathy, it helps put that shame out a little bit. And I've found that to be true. And so I think coming on the podcast, I thought, you know, like this is a good way <laughs> to release more of that shame. But, but I did realize, you know, people are going to find out and, and it's okay. Cause, cause I prayed about it and I feel that Heavenly Father wants us to share our struggles. And it's important to share our humanness because we all have it. And sometimes we look at other people and we think we know them and just like to know that everybody's human and we all have, we all have our own challenges and struggles. And, and I think it helps us learn to love more. I love your focus on shame, Carrie. And I love Brene Brown. I've learned so much about shame from her and I love the quote you shared. And I love the quote sometimes I share, which is shame says I am bad versus I did something bad. And I believe you started this, you talked about your worth 
as a heavenly, as a daughter of heavenly parents is set. One of my other podcast guests talked about my worth is set. Um, it's set because of our doctrine that you are a, hev- a daughter of heavenly parents. And by that, your divine nature makes your worth set. And nothing can change your worth. Your worthiness <laughs> can come and go, as you know, firsthand. But I think if we think of I am good, shame says, don't believe that this line, shame says I am bad. So we look in the mirror and we feel bad and we think we're bad. We've just done something bad. And I think that, you know, as a singles word bishop, I felt I used to come home to my wife and she says, what do you accomplish in the bishop's office? And I said, I think I'm just mostly de-shaming people Mm. because if I can do that, I can connect them with the power of the atonement and give them hope. And so it takes great courage for you to talk about this, but it, I don't think it causes more people to mess up because you're talking about this. I think it causes more people to be able to have hope um, and, have, and to see our humanness and to be real and honest. It helps us move forward. Um, so I, I love what you're sharing there. Talk about um, Troy and just when he, you felt like this— mer- this wasn't going to end in divorce. Did that come before the baby was born, after the baby's born? When did you kind of feel that we were going to be able to stay together as a family? You didn't quite know how it was going to work and if your relationship would ever be back to where it was. When did you kind of realize that Troy and I are going to stay together? I think it was that it was during the pregnancy. It was, I think I just knew as we were picking up the pieces and seeing him, you know, like come into coming to terms and, and already beginning to love this this baby that, you know, that, that was coming, that was going to be joining our family. And so, um, you know, as we looked for our next home, it was just apparent, you know, like we're, we're staying together. We're working this out. I knew it was going to be hard for him. And I just wanted to give him the time to be able to work things out. And we were going to therapy. So we really were working through a lot of things. That's great. Talk about I've written down tender mercies and the atonement. Are there yeah. are there things you want to share against either of those? The love that came from people in our new ward as we lived in that cabin up there that summer. Because I think I think things somehow some of the people in that new ward knew what was happening because they knew people that knew us and people gossip. <laughs> and um, but just like having having friends and people that cared that reached out to us even knowing what we were going through. That was a tender mercy to me. Um, the scriptures, you know, there was one in particular. I just remember. Um, sitting on the bathroom floor, just crying and feeling hopeless. And this, this scripture came to mind and I, the words, um, peace, peace I leave with you. And I thought, okay, I don't know where that is, but I know it's in the scriptures. And I, and I searched it and I found John 14, 27. And it's peace I leave with you, not as the world giveth. Excuse me, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid.
I just think it's amazing how we find answers, you know, the exact words or things that we need to hear in the scriptures. Those were signs to me when I had moments like that, that, that the Lord knew me, that Heavenly Father knew me, that, I, that he knew me personally and that he cared and, and that Jesus Christ is and was my Savior. Um, that was a big tender mercy. I think music, music is another one, another thing that helped me get through. I listen to Christian worship music. I don't know if you do. Um, I listen to some. My wife, I think, even listens to more. Oh, yeah. That's my main, that's mainly what I listen to in the car. <laughs> and it's helped me. It's helped me get through many times. I've listened to it for years. But there was one song in particular by um, Laura Story. It's called Blessings. And I, I think I listened to it over and over and over again. But she says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? Um, what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? And I don't, just certain words like, again, again, Heavenly Father speaking to me personally. Um, so yeah, those were, those were some of the tender mercies and, but really the atonement of Jesus Christ, it was everything. I even started going to 12 step, the church's 12 step program, because at the time I was like, I don't know, like, I don't know why I've chosen what I've chosen. Like, do I have an addiction or what is it? And I just started going to the, to the 12 step recovery program and that is amazing, inspired program. I realized after time in therapy that I didn't have an addiction. There was other things leading me to make the choices that I made, but but that was really helpful for me at that time, just to be able to go and meet with other people who were also struggling and also trying. And it was a weekly reminder that 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 God's grace could help me through this. And it was like I learned some really important principles, like turning my life over to to Heavenly Father, that was a really important principle or getting completely honest and just being honest, like not holding back and not hiding, not hiding because secrets, that just leads to more shame. Um, but with the shame, that's something that it took me a long time. It's only been probably the last year that I think I've been able to really drop that shame. Um, so, and it was, I, I think just a lot of things that influenced that, but it just took time. and sharing and I hopefully after this podcast I'll be shame free right way to go <laughs> um let me share some thoughts and then I want to see if you have some more thoughts in the atonement um I think a lot about the the my favorite parable and some of our listeners have heard this before of all of the things that Christ taught is the prodigal son and to me, he knew that people of our day would make mistakes, and he knew he needed to teach a parable that would teach the doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so I think he set up the worst-case scenario using um, a situation from his day, which was the prodigal son, who not only sold his birthright, his inheritance, which was deeply offensive, obviously, to his father, but he lived a, time, he lived a life of riotous living. So it was kind of the worst-case scenario. 
And then in Luke, he came unto himself. Those are the words. And I think those to me are God-given moments where we recognize where we are. And to me, there's not a lot of shame there. There's hope that I need to change. Yeah. And so he decided to come back, but he self-determined that he would no longer be worthy to be a son. He'd be a servant. And he said something to the point, I'll just leave, eat the leftover hus, however you say that word. <laughs> and so the parable for me forever answers the question, and we're all the prodigal son or daughter at some point, we all make mistakes. Do we come back as a son or a daughter or a servant? Mm. And so he's walking back, and that father out in the field, who I think represents Heavenly Father, the Savior, sees him. And I think the Savior set up that parable during daylight so that he could show how the Father feels when we come back. And the Son, as we know, the Father ran, which would be very unusual for, a, I believe, a Jewish father to run. And he leaves the boundary of his farm, and he, and he just hugs his son. And I think his son is stunned. And the words in Luke are something like, But Father, I have sinned against heaven and thee, I am no worthy to be called thy son. I think what he's saying there is, why are you treating me like this? I don't deserve to be treated like this. And then the father, to me, this is the beauty of the parable, forever answers the question, when we come back, do we come back as a son or servant? And he, as our listeners know that know that parable, he puts a ring on a finger in his coat to signify he comes back as a son. And to me, that's the most powerful doctrine in our church, um, most powerful parable, but we need to hear that. There's also no shame in this parable. There's no groveling. There's no cold shoulder. My son did that to me. I'd probably give him the cold shoulder. I'd probably grovel. So those are pretty normal things, and Troy went through those, and that's okay. Um, I think that's part of assessing the reality of our situation and moving forward. So no that would take all of us time. But our Heavenly Father, seeing the big picture, um, there's no shame in that. There's no cold shoulder. There's, And I think that's the way we need to look at repentance. Uh, that parable is preceded by too many parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And to me, that teaches when, every, when the person finds the lost sheep and the lost coin, they go out and tell everybody. So I actually believe the Savior loves forgiving. I don't believe your sins added to his burden. I don't think he cried new tears because of what you did. To me, that's kind of, I don't believe that. Sometimes we say that at church, and I think it creates more shame for yeah. us. <laughs> and so I think the Savior, when you came back and you talked to your bishop and you talked to um, Troy, <laughs> I didn't call him Walt, that name <laughs> just came to my mind, Troy, um, that I lost my, that, you know, that, he, he enjoys forgiving. The Savior enjoys forgiving. Yeah. And then the other thing I'd share and is uh, an institute teacher, Michael Wilcox, taught me is the, pair, is the pink Mormon. I guess we'd say a pink Latter-day Saint these days. But there's a scripture in, in Isaiah that says, though our sins be as scarlet, they be as white as snow. And I think a lot of the people I met with in my YSA assignment would think, well, a lot of forgiving on my part or a lot of repenting on my part, a lot of forgiving on the Lord's part, he can get me from red to a light shade of pink, mm. but I'll never be white again. And they have 
pink, still going to say pink Mormon thinking, they'll think if you're single and you've been sexually active, I'll never be good enough for so-and-so because he wants somebody who was never sexually active. Or I'll never be able to teach the law of chastity of my children because I broke it. Yeah. Or I'll never be an effective leader. Or And so I think that is so much of that goes on in our minds when we mess up. And I think the Savior doesn't want us to do that. I think he wants to leave that uh, is to be white and not and we, when we think of pink Mormon thoughts, and some of those may be normal, we undersell the power of the atonement. I, on Instagram, I, I, this was kind of for the YSAs that became sexually active. I talk about virtue versus virginity. Virtue is a beautiful spiritual gift. And should what we'd be looking for in potential spouses, what we should be looking for in a potential spouse, and not a checklist requirement that includes virginity, that may exclude some of Heavenly Father's finest children from consideration as your future spouse. So that's a different situation than you have, but I look at who you are, Carrie, and the virtue in you. And to me, virtue is something that can never be taken away from us from another person and is something that is a God-given thing, and you are a virtuous woman. <laughs> doesn't mean you haven't made mistakes, doesn't mean I've made mistakes, but I think that gets us out of pink Mormon thinking sometimes and um, and helps us see ourselves as beloved children of Heavenly Father. So, And I also recognize in our own mess-ups, as we use the atonement to become clean, then we do have, there's pain. Obviously, there's things you wish wouldn't have happened, and I don't want to not acknowledge that exists because that exists, and that's the reality of your situation. But we also at times have increased Christ-like attributes that come into our lives that are beautiful byproducts of messing up. We we don't exactly have a conference talk that says, go mess up, because then you'll have new Christ-like attributes come in your life. Yeah. I, we're not trying to say that, but you've mentioned it in the podcast, some of the things that have come into your life. And so I think there's great paydays ahead of you. I think you're wondering, I've got a six-year-old kid and I guess you adopted another one that's yeah. that same age. So yeah. you have two six-year-old kids. But this one six-year-old kid we've been talking about, you wonder how this is going to impact her as she becomes aware. And I think right. you've got great parent and paydays ahead of you as your own children open up to you and your husband, Troy, as they as they are and become aware of the reality of your family situation where you're able to help people in a way that is uniquely possible because of the lessons you've learned. I call it the wounded healer on the podcast. We have this quote a lot of our listeners have heard. Hang on, listeners. You've got it memorized, but I don't. <laughs> um, a wounded healer, and that's who you are in some ways. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. Mm. So you and Troy are wounded healers. You've both been tremendously wounded by this situation. But the atonement has made you clean. You needed to repent, not Troy. But the atonement has healed your broken hearts. Yeah. Um, tr and that's, I think, began when you used the word surrender. I just surrender this. I can't be my husband's savior. I can't be my savior. I just surrender. I'll use the atonement to become clean and work through the bishop and the repentance process, but I need the savior to heal my broken heart and Troy's broken heart. Yeah. 
and, and our kids broken and hearts. your kids broken heart and and then you have this ability to be a wounded healer you can just help other people walk yeah. really complicated things so now i went on for a little bit i don't know no, if you I, have any thoughts about it. that or if you want to go back to some of your story no i agree and that's actually something that i had thought about too i remember um just a few months ago thinking okay i know heavenly father has forgiven me i know i've been forgiven through Christ's atonement, and there's no doubt about that. But I, I, I thought I wish, and I said this to my bishop. I said I wish, though, that the atonement could also fix all the stuff that's yeah. left. And yeah. he said, you know, actually, I think it does. And and I've thought about that more, and I've watched, and I've realized, like, it does. Christ's atonement does. It's it heals those who I have hurt, also, and it. Even just the consequences, like me figuring out, okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna tell our daughter this and and that like when and how is this gonna work out? We're gonna have to have a sit down with her. But things have happened that we've had a couple experiences where I can see that, okay, like there's been some experiences and some circumstances where I think it's gonna be able to come natural to tell her that. I don't think it's gonna have to be this sit down, serious, break your heart thing. I think think that's great. Yeah, and that's where I think, like I have to attribute that to Christ's atonement. That is his grace. His grace. And I think you can't go down this road, this pink Mormon thinking that I can't authentically teach the law of chastity to my children because I messed up. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I just don't believe that. I, and I don't think your children, shame would sort of create this feeling, my children are going to make the same mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. And I think because you're talking about this and because you're talking about the role of the atonement and you're not, I think, I don't think your kids are going to make the same mistakes. I think that's a lie that Satan would put in your brain that somehow because of my mistakes, my kids are going to make mistakes. I, maybe that's never come in your brain and I'm putting a no, new thought has. in your brain. <laughs> so if I am, I'm sorry. But I think has. that's one of the things that we think as parents is my kids are going to make the same mistakes I have. And, and sometimes that happens. Yeah. But I think shame is a, that's shame. And that's, I think, Satan. And then we feel shame and we're isolated. And I think having healthy, open conversations that are age appropriate and and some listeners may feel they've had an affair and don't feel a need to share that broadly, and that's fine. I recognize yeah. that not everybody needs to do what you're doing, but there are some people that recognize my story can help other people, yeah. and it will also help our family, and it brings honor to our family versus shame to our family. Yeah, you know, I I think that's true because I when I told my my oldest child, I said, you know, I'm I think I'm going to go talk about this, you know, and with, with Richard Osler. And she's like, I said, are you, know, are you okay with that? And I kind of asked each of them, you know, are you okay with, how do you feel about it? Are you going to be embarrassed? And she said, no, I think it's going to be good, you know, like good for you, she, for, for me, she said. But, but she talked about how she always has felt like we couldn't talk about it, which I felt like it's interesting. I had been pretty open. And so I was like, oh, I didn't know my kids felt like that. But she said I'd, she felt like she couldn't talk about it because if she brought it up, it would make me feel bad. And Is this the daughter that's having a baby? Yeah. And probably yeah. by the time our listeners are hearing this podcast, She'll have the baby on you'll there. be a grandma. <laughs> yeah. this, da- this daughter of yours is having a daughter. Yeah. 
And um, the due date's roughly early March. Um, yeah, March 28th. So this baby's so. going to be born and you're going to be a grandma. Yeah. And this is going to be a wonderful payday for your daughter, her husband, and yeah, and your family. Yeah, and I hope this... And I love her answer. I thought yeah. that's a really thoughtful answer. It is. And she said, I think it might open things up to where we can talk about it more. She felt like because at the time we said, don't tell people right. that brought it, you know, then she's like, oh, we can't. Which it's true. Like there had to be, there was some secrecy about it. So, so, so I think my kids probably kind of felt like they couldn't talk about it. Um, but do you have any more thoughts on the atonement you want to share? Are you okay on that? Oh, I just, I just want everybody to be able to understand that the atonement, it is not, it's not just for everybody else. It's for you. It's for me. It is. I, I don't know. There's a quote, President Holland, or Elder Holland, he, he gives a quote, and I don't remember how he says it because he speaks eloquently, but he talks about that there, it's not possible for us to have stooped so low or um, anything like that, even lower than, than Christ's atonement can cover. I know that I didn't say it very well. You did just fine. <laughs> um, but it's true. I've learned that. That that Jesus Christ He descended below everything, and I just want people to know if anybody's struggling with similar things, or you know, thinking about taking their their sins or their mistakes to the grave, you don't have to do that because I just I don't know how to put it into words because. Christ and the atonement mean so much to me. They, Christ has saved me and, and there's hope. There's hope in Christ. His grace, Brad Wilcox says his Christ's grace is not the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the light in the tunnel. It is the light that carries us through the tunnel. And I, I wouldn't go back and do the same thing again. Um, but like you were talking about earlier, I wouldn't change the lessons I've learned. Uh, my relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, I would never change that. I, I can see their hand in my life every day now, every single day. And, and I'm grateful that my challenges and trials led me to deepen my relationship with them. Um, thank you. Carrie, just a couple thoughts come to mind. I um, I like this iceberg concept. Sometimes when I would see the YSAs are working through sin, and often the sin is above the waterline like an iceberg. And sometimes to fully understand the context of why someone was sinning, I needed to get to the bottom of the iceberg. And sometimes it took a therapist to get there, and it didn't excuse the sin, yeah. but it helped all of us understand the full picture of what was going on here. And it sounds like in your therapy, you you kind of got to the bottom of your iceberg yeah. and understood more of the context of why the, this became a sin for you and why you perhaps were more vulnerable or more susceptible. And I think neither of us are excusing the sin, but I think sometimes to fully resolve something it's important for us to kind of think about the iceberg concept. And pornography for a lot of the YSAs 
was not really about pornography. That's a sin. Mm -hmm. But it was often about anxiety or stress or a way to cope or escape from reality. And it wasn't necessarily a willful desire to sin. Um, I don't think your situation was a willful desire to sin. is isn't like you said, mm-hmm. I'm going to go have an affair and have a child, and this is my goal, and yeah. this is how it's going to happen. Now, not does neither of us are saying it's okay what you did. Right. <laughs> You're not. No. But I think sometimes for us to look inward, not in a negative way, but to try to understand our own icebergs, and if and sometimes, and I couldn't always do that as a leader, so I don't want to say, and I, I love the role of a bishop to help you repent and the process you went through that only a bishop can do, but sometimes, like you did, you've got to get a therapist involved to understand yeah. the full context. So I think that's part of just the great work you've done to become a better person. I think Christ looks at us sometimes, our Heavenly Father, and says, okay, you've messed up, but now the real test is what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, I think that's where our finest moments come in, is how we respond. And I think this, Carrie, is an incredible moment for you and Troy. Um, You're both two of my heroes for how you've responded and incredibly, and you may not feel very heroic, and obviously you really wish this didn't happen, but I think the work that you did to figure out who you are and use the atonement and your dear husband, Troy. I don't want to elevate one of you over the other. Troy's not here, but he's done, like you've honored him, he's done some wonderful things in this. I love that he went and talked to this guy. Yeah. Troy, if you're listening to that, that to me is one of the, I don't know if I could have done that, Troy. Um but I love the way you just hit this issue head on and went and talked to this guy and resolved the, this situation and, and in some ways spared your wife having to resolve that on her own. You could have just said, well, this is your problem. You go figure it out. But Troy, the stand-up husband of yours, said, I'll go, I'll go deal with this. Yeah. And so I think it's a beautiful part of your love story. And it's really painful, and you both wish it didn't happen, but I have great hopes for your marriage. And great hopes for blessings for your children and grandchildren. And you won't talk about this all the time. And maybe it's nice it's in a podcast so everybody can hear the full story and people can bring it up as needed. But um, I, I wrote this on Instagram. Um, Satan doesn't win if we sin. He wins if he can cause us to believe the lie that we will never be good enough or outside God's love or if our situation is so hopeless, the atonement of Jesus Christ doesn't apply to us. Mm. And so, yeah, neither of us are inviting people to sin, but that's the reality of mortality. Yeah. And so then it comes to do what you did, is take the shame out of the situation, hit it head on, and move forward. And don't become a pink Mormon. Don't think that now I'm damaged goods or that my trajectory has changed or my family's trajectory has changed or for some reason... Whatever I hope for my dreams, I think Satan wants to think as our dreams have changed. And I think the power of the atonement and Heavenly Father, parents that love us, doesn't change our trajectory. So, yeah, some sin changes things. Um, right. So anyway, those are, I'm just making sure I've kind of crossed off all my thoughts. Um, 
I wrote one thought. I can't remember what it is, but it doesn't quite make sense to me now. But, um, oh, I just, it is uh, sometimes, um, this is more for those YSAs that become sexually active, but I don't like these analogies like, you know, being sexually active before you're married is sort of like nails being hammered into the wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can you can take the nails out, but there'll always be holes there. And to me, that is not doctrinally correct. No. And creates shame. And I heard that as a youth. I heard that if I was sexually active, it'd be better for me to die. And I don't believe that. And so I think we've said some things in the past that don't match our doctrine and create shame around being whatever type of sin we occur. And then it makes us feel like, you know, we're, it just creates shame. And then that separates us from believing the atonement applies to us. So any other thoughts you want to share, Carrie, before we sign off? Oh, no, I don't. I mean, I'm sure I'll think of things after <laughs> that I wish I would have shared, but. Well, <laughs> then we'll sign off. And I, Carrie Scott, thank you for coming on this podcast. There are people with tears in their eyes right now that you have shared some things that will give them hope that they have never found in any other story or in any other place. And you've read some beautiful scriptures. I love that scripture you close with, but just the guts to share your own story. And there are people that, you know, are kind of in Troy's situation that um, some wrong has happened to them or they've been wrong through someone that they've trusted and they are hearing things that's, that give them perspective on how to navigate this. And um, so thank you, Carrie and Troy. I feel like you're here with us on the podcast. <laughs> thank you for um, allowing your wife to share this story and the beautiful marriage you have and the great life you two have together along with these six kids and future grandkids. And thanks, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Mm-hmm.